Now, I'd like if you would turn with me uh, this morning to Second uh, Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 10 to 22. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, uh, we've, been looking th- we've been going through this letter that Peter wrote to uh, young uh, Christian uh, communities, young churches, um, in what is modern Turkey now. Uh, there were young churches and Peter uh, gave them uh, warnings and advice and help and encouragement pointing them forward to Jesus. Now this is a difficult passage as was the first half of it the last time we did it which was uh, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 2, because it's speaking about false teachers and their destruction and uh, it's really pretty, pretty severe stuff but I hope we can take it and understand why that's the case uh, as we unpack it this morning. So we're going to read from verse 10. We did verses 1 to 9 a couple of weeks ago. Today we're going to do from verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, Do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the ways of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Amen. May God add his own blessing to that reading. Nice, gentle, soft message from the word this morning. Uh, But it's God's word, and we take that And uh, we work forward from that premise. So, this morning as we unpack this a little bit, we know certain things, don't we, as we come to worship. Now, 
Uh, we've talked about the importance of giving God the glory and uh, focusing on God, and I hope that's what we're able to do today. But we know there are certain things very important. It's very important that that clock has a battery in it that works. Otherwise, it's a problem, isn't it? It's also very important if you're building a house, isn't it? That the foundation is absolutely right. That is always really important. It's always been important. And it's very important today that the foundation, you know, a lot of time is taken to mark out the foundations of a house to make sure that the ground underneath it is solid, that the materials you use are right, that the measurements you use are right, because otherwise everything else is going to be wrong. If we get the foundation wrong, then the whole building will be wrong. And we know that God, Jesus uses that illustration himself uh, when he talks about the foundations that we have in life and the wise man and the foolish man where we build uh, uh, our house, the house of our lives. And uh, it's absolutely the same because Jesus uses that and he applies it to our Christian lives and he applies it to our understanding of Jesus Christ. And he says it's absolutely important in faith that, that we recognize that truth matters as well. That we don't just kind of go off on a, a jolly on our own. That we don't go off thinking, well, it doesn't really matter what we believe. We just kind of head off that way ourselves. Uh, because what Peter, through the Holy Spirit here, is, is really defensive about, and is really uses strong languages about, is the gospel and the, the doctrine and the truth of God's word. Because he says, and this is important for us all, that true faith, when we have true faith in Jesus Christ, that will change us. Like the clock. It'll change us from the inside out. You know, we, it's not about what we look like on the outside. It's not a particularly good-looking clock, really. But it's, it's what we have in our hearts that is a gift of grace and faith. And how that then will, when we believe in that, it will transform how we live. You know, the Bible in different places is saying faith without works, in other words, without an expression of that faith, is dead. And really, that is partly what is being speak, spoken about here. And what Peter does in this passage, as he's done in the, the one that we looked before, is he absolutely nails false teachers. He completely nails them. He doesn't give them a leg to stand on. He absolutely hammers them uh, because he knows that uh, they are import- that what they are doing is important in a negative way and because it's foundational. It will affect our life as Christians. It will affect the life of the church, this young church, and it will affect the life of, of the gospel right through the centuries. If we don't get the gospel right, if we haven't got that correct, and if we're led astray by false teaching, then we're saying that Jesus doesn't matter, and it doesn't really matter what we believe about him. You can believe anything. Uh, just, just move forward and, and take what you want. And Peter nails that. He nails false teachers under the power of God and the Holy Spirit as he gives this letter. So what I want to do is look at that a little bit. Uh, I want to look firstly at God's CV for these false teachers. God's curriculum vitae for these false teachers. He, 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 you know what you do in a, in a CV? You say all the best things about yourself. And you really highlight the good things. There's not many negative things you put in your CV. Uh, because you want to give a good impression of yourself. Well, this is God's CV of the false teachers. This is how their beliefs work out in their lives. This is what they look like. And it's pretty ugly, it has to be said. There's a, there's a bit of a negative wow factor about what is happening here with what Peter's saying. And it's, it's very extreme. But this is the result of uh, leadership 
who have come, who uh, uh, boast about leading and governing and taking the church and the gospel forward, but have moved away from the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, can I just say something personal here? I don't think this teaching about false teachers applies to anyone in our church. Okay? Can I just say that? And I don't think it applies to anyone in leadership or in the ministry of our denomination. I think we have safeguards in place that would allow such false teaching and false thinking to be dealt with at a fairly early stage. However, I'm not complacent, and this is not preached from a position of pride, because the seed of the problem that these leaders allow to develop is in all of us. In other words, the principle is about the danger of losing sight of the truth and of the word of God. And music's really off <laughs> I keep thinking it's someone trying to get in. But anyway, I've drawn your attention to it now, so you'll all be listening to it. Okay, uh, the, the CV of false teachers, this is what God is saying here. Okay, uh, And it's, it's damning. He says their basic natures have not changed. In verse 10, he kind of talks about, uh, this is especially true, follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. They, and he goes on to speak about them uh, being like, like animals. You know, they're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts that too will ferris. They have come to the position as leaders where they're saying, you don't need to listen to the gospel about our hearts and about sin and about the need for salvation and change. To err is human. We all make mistakes. That's just what we're like. And they, tr- they, were, they were learning to treat sin lightly, that sin didn't matter, that Jesus probably didn't need to go to the cross. It was extreme. And uh, they, 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 they protected their hearts. They said, you don't need, God doesn't need to get into my heart. My heart's not that bad. Their hearts remained untouched. So they didn't get changed. They didn't get the new battery. They didn't get transformed by God's grace. They didn't have that new soul given to them, that renewed and vibrant life that Jesus offers. So they had no spiritual discernment, and they were insensitive. And they acted instinctively. So they just remained with the nature they were born with, the sinful nature, and they kind of um, just put that into their position in leadership of the church. And God is saying here through Peter that basically they're really they're worse than animals because they're made in God's image. They were made to be in relationship with God and they were made to, to be friends with God and yet they were denying the only way back to God through Jesus Christ. They had flirted with the truth. They'd come near the truth. They'd dipped their toe into the truth. But then they said, nah, we will do it our own way. And so they... In, in the name of the gospel, they kind of returned uh, with a renewed energy to the life of grime that they had uh, been engaged in before, uh, even uh, maybe under the umbrella of truth. So, which is why that, a very visual and powerful picture at the end of a dog returning to its home and a pig returning, a clean pig returning to wallow in the mud again, is used very visual graphic pictures that they've gone back to what they were before they had any contact with the gospel and with Jesus Christ. Uh, their life day to day was a life of uh, um, hedonism and pleasure and self-satisfaction and had no real reference to holiness or to God. So they, their basic natures remained uh, unchanged. They despised it, their CV. 
They despised authority. These are leaders who despise authority. It's a bit of an oxymoron. Uh, they, they despised, verse 18, they despised, uh, verse 10, they despised authority. They didn't come under the gospel and its power, and they didn't come under the gospel of Christ and the church. They just were arrogant and judgmental, you know, bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. I'm not quite sure what that reference is, uh, but they were, they were willing not only to say they knew better than everyone around them, but they knew better than the, the angelic powers that be also. They were confident, they were dismissive. They talked a good game. They could talk a good game spiritually, uh, and they could influence people as a result. But probably what's, what's, what's most staggering about them was their morality is embarrassing. Their morality as those who were supposed to be leaders of the gospel in that community. They were false teachers, uh, we're told at the beginning of verse 2, was shameful. Verses 13 to 16, you know, they're carousing in broad daylight, blots and blemishes, eyes full of adultery, seducing the unstable, experts in greed. It's not a good CV, is it? It's not a pretty picture that has been given to us here of these supposed spiritual leaders in the church. It was shameful. They were out of control. Sex and drink and everything else that goes with it. Rock and roll if it had been around. They were abusive. They abused their position of power uh, with the vulnerable. They were seductive over those who were weak. Maybe who were young in the faith because they were influential and maybe those who were unstable. And they used their position to, uh, ben- to benefit financially, so they were greedy. They manipulated the gospel for their own ends. It's a really ugly picture. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, it's a very ex- um, extreme picture of what was. It's ugly. Now, I'm not going to start uh, making judgment uh, on other leaders or other churches or anything else, but if we were to apply that kind of thinking today, it would maybe be along the lines of those who, in the name of the gospel or in the name of Jesus, are able to uh, um, finance a, a, a lavish lifestyle with private jets or who uh, use their position to involve themselves in systematic child abuse or sexual uh, license, uh, who choose to stand over the Bible and deny its authority and say you can believe that bit, but you can't believe that bit, who would argue for a different gospel in the name of the church, in the name of Christianity. That's the kind of thing that we would maybe apply it to today. Very extreme, but very important, foundational. So, God's verdict, he gives his verdict here in two pictures. Uh, And they're pictures that we can understand Two pictures that really bring us to the the conclusion of having a false faith or faith that isn't based on the truth of Jesus Christ or that wanders from that. Two things, emptiness and darkness. That's the verdict that we have from God as he gives it through Peter. These men are, verse 17, springs without water and mists driven by, the, by, the, by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Springs without water. That whole picture, you know, that water and pictures about water don't mean so much to us because it just comes out of the taps for us. It's very readily available. But in the Middle East, particularly, water was much more precious. And to go to a spring find a spring and you go there and there's no water then that was a disaster that was 
really significant. And he says that's where they're like, they're like springs without water. They promise lots, but they don't deliver anything spiritually to the church, uh, to their own understanding and to their own grace. And they remain, he says, slaves to their own desires and appetites and fears and their image, their popularity, and their pleasure. And in fact, they're still slaves to their sinful nature. They're not free at all. And they, even to themselves, maybe they promise lots, but they remain absolutely enslaved to their sinful desires. And he says also they're just, uh, they're, they're unstable, always running after new things, new ideas, uh, uh, new ways of being satisfied. And and the Bible speaks about that in a lot of places. You know, in Jeremiah 2, it says, they have, God says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug uh, their own cistern, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So even in the Old Testament, you had this picture that God was the one who gave, uh, and who gave life, and who gave hope, and whose promises were fulfilled. But uh, these false teachers and others have moved away from that and uh, promised the world, but don't give anything. You know, they've moved, they've forgotten that the Romans 6, you've been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. They, they called themselves free. They said, you can be absolutely free if you follow us. But they forgot that freedom comes with a price. Genuine, true freedom comes with a price. We become slaves of Jesus and his righteousness and his goodness. And earlier in Peter, in the first epistle, Peter says, live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And isn't that, you know, that's broadening the application to ourselves. We live, and we live as free people with the promises of Jesus. But don't use that Christian freedom as a cover-up for not allowing Jesus into our hearts and doing and thinking up evil things. So they are empty. They promise lots. This lifestyle promises lots, promises many things, but it gives nothing because it's not true. And Jesus is truth. And therefore, when someone promises who is true, then these promises are the basis of our faith because we believe they will be worked out. If you don't think that Jesus is worthy, it's because you don't think he's true and you don't think he'll fulfill his promises. And that's fundamental. That's why you'll be struggling. That's why you'll be drifting away. That's why we are filled with doubt because we believe the promises of the false teachers and the, the words of the world rather than the promises of Jesus. Were these, were these people here, were these false teachers, were they believers who lost their faith? It's implied in verse 20, isn't it? If they had escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and had again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Would that suggest that I or you as Christians could lose our faith? That they were genuine believers who fell away? Well, I think the Bible's pretty clear on that. That if you're a genuine believer, you will not fall away. They knew about the Lord Jesus Christ. They dipped their toes into the gospel. They tasted it, but they didn't give their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. John, God, uh, sorry, Jesus very clearly says in John 10, 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The genuine believer will not fall away in this way. These were, these were people who had dipped their toe in the gospel. They talked the talk. And Jesus spoke about it a lot. 
in the New Testament. And we can't, we can't, we've got to be aware of that. You know, he says, many will come to me on that, the last day. You know? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell, you, tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you, what, what does he say? You evildoers. So in other words, the, their, prete- their pretense of faith was purely intellectual. And they didn't allow that faith to change their hearts. They didn't have the new battery in their clock. They didn't allow Jesus to come in. And they simply had an outward faith, an outward religion, where they did lots of things in Jesus' name. Or Luke 6, why do you call me Lord? Lord, Jesus says, and do not do what I say. Hear my words and put them into practice. Bingo! It's very basic that there's this aspect to our Christianity, isn't it? That our faith, our heart, changes our life. The CV of the false teachers was that what they professed didn't make any difference to their lives. They remained enslaved their sinful natures. They carried on doing what they wanted to do. So there's an emptiness. It's such a challenge, isn't it? Such a challenge for us uh, to, to understand foundationally what it means to know Christ. It means that you will go from here and I will go from here and we examine ourselves to see if our life is being transformed. To see if his grace is changing us so that we can begin to obey what he wants us to do, to love him and to love one another. Is grace softening us? Is grace purifying us? Are we dependent on him? Is it a living relationship? Or do we go from church today, having done all the churchy kind of things, and then just go back to our own lives unchanged and unmoved? So that it isn't transforming us, and it isn't changing us. Emptiness and darkness. Okay, and that's a terrible picture of uh, final judgment uh, is deepest darkness. Can, did you, can you get degrees of darkness? Well, the illustration is here, yeah. It's the deepest darkness. That is the furthest away from, it's a picture, furthest away from the light of Jesus. It's a picture of despair and hopelessness and ugliness. So, you know, it's strong words, isn't it? But what is, what is, why is it so important? Why is a third of, the, of this letter devoted to this? Because foundations matter. What we believe about Jesus matters because it will, it will influence our life and indeed our eternity. So what is he teaching? As we finish, what is he teaching us today? How does this teaching about radical and mental false teachers that we don't see in our own situation or we don't maybe think it is in our own lives, what is it teaching us? Well, remember this was written to a young church full of ordinary believers. We're a young church, full of ordinary believers. And it's part of God's word, so it still applies, obviously, to us. Why, are the warning he- Why is the warning here? So a couple of things, and I've mentioned probably them already. Right foundations in our Christian lives are absolutely crucial. That's why Peter, as it were, um, uh, verbally jumps up and down uh, his whole height with a bright orange suit on saying, listen to this. That's why it's so radical is because he knows that it's going to affect if they don't get the church right at the beginning, then it's going to affect everything. And also, it's going to affect individual lives. 
And that is true as a basis for your own Christian profession and mine, and also for us as a church. You know, here in St. Columbus or Christ Church down in Craig and Tenney, uh, or in Cornerstone uh, down in Morningside or Midlothian, if we start a church there, when we start a church there. The foundation, spiritual foundations are crucial that we start with the truth, that we base what we do on the truth of Jesus Christ, that we uh, recognize the foundation of this relationship with Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. See that foundation? When does the foundation matter more? It's on a warm, sunny west coast of Scotland day. Sun's shining and everything's calm. No. The foundation matters most when it's a wild storm, Hurricane Bertha, when she comes. That's when, the, that's when the foundation matters. So when the storms of your life come, your understanding and my understanding of who Jesus is and the truth of Jesus will determine how we respond. The truth matters. Allowing Jesus into our heart, seeing that we are right with him and that he loves us and that he's forgiven us and that he's a purpose for us is crucial when the storms of life hit. Right foundations are crucial. Also, true freedom sees clearly. The Bible gives us teaching that helps us to see, helps us to see our own hearts and helps us to see clearly. That's why it's called light so often. It gives us light. That's why the Bible is so important because it sheds light into our hearts. And what this is helping us to do is to see the deceptiveness of sin, the deceptiveness of our own fallen natures, um, and also to see that the Christian life isn't a walk in the park, but is actually an ongoing battle. So we need not to be deceived by our own hearts and by our own defensiveness and by our own arguments. See, we will every day, from your own heart, from my own heart, and from the world around us, we will be tempted in our Christian walk towards easy believism. That's what the false teachers are saying. Don't believe what Peter's saying and what the gospel says. It's much easier than that. Sure, you can do what you want. Jesus has died for you anyway. Just carry on. But easy believism is always a temptation. Shortcuts are always a temptation. New thinking, new books that are great insight into the gospel. That you don't need to be holy anymore. That makes no demands on ourselves on our time, on our purity, on our humility, on our resources, on our love for others, or any teaching that, that promises that is empty and dark. Any teaching that elevates pleasure to a position of lordship is doing that. And true freedom enables us to see that clearly. The devil knows exactly what buttons to press in our lives. And it's usually not, it's usually not that obvious. <laughs> but if we don't submit to the truth, and I say this uh, with reservation, but with, with a genuine mm, meaning, all hell will break loose. Okay? Darkness and emptiness breaks loose if you lose sight of the foundation of Jesus Christ. All hell will break loose in your life and in mine. And uh, that is hugely significant for us. That we take what we know and what we worship and what we speak about 
and uh, we live it. So there's no, can I say there's no place in our lives for dualism. You know what dualism is? Where we believe one thing, but we live differently. So you believe one thing, particularly in church, and then you go out the door, and in your workplace or in your studies or whatever, you live differently, and you have a different persona and a different way of thinking, and people see you, perceive you differently. So you might be theologically conservative in church, but you might be socially liberal. So you think it doesn't matter sexually, it doesn't matter about your drinking habits, it doesn't matter your language, it doesn't matter what you do ethically. And that's exactly the kind of dualism that was being spoken of here by Peter, that we can be theologically conservative within the walls of a church and really stand up for truth in our own understanding, but socially liberal. What do, what do we take seriously? Ourselves, our pursuit of wealth, our popularity, or our faith. Our faith in Jesus. And the last, the very last thing in terms of applying it to ourselves is, I think, uh, the power of influence. See, Peter labors this because uh, he knows that lead, these leaders are influential. And that's, you know, that's the way of the world. That's what it is. And he's, he's burdened by that. And, uh, but it also speaks generally just of the, the social, the community power of influence, generally speaking. You know, we each influence each other here in the church. And we either have to influence each other in relationship positively as Christians towards Jesus, or we're doing it negatively. You know, we want to set up sort of the structures of the church are for accountability and for fellowship and for loving and serving Christ together. And we can either do that together by raising our standards spiritually and by being friends with one another so that we bring each other closer to Jesus, or sometimes in terms of influence, we can influence ourselves negatively in a, in a negative way so we're taking people further. So groups of Christians can drink together or uh, gossip together or ethically do things that are dubious together, judge one another together, and that is taking us further, isn't it? I don't fall over. Further from Jesus. But as Christians, we have this great influence and responsibility to bring each other closer to Jesus and to serve him by praying more together, by being graceful together, by serving together, by being holy together. Power of community for good or for bad. That's why this chapter is so significant. And Peter labors this point of both community and leadership and uh, dealing with it. So I think uh, as we close, we remember um, that this isn't about being legalistic. It's not about a works religion. But it's about having a heart. It's having that battery changed. Having Jesus in our heart changing us. So that that truth is in our heart. And the Holy Spirit is transforming our, transforming our thoughts and our actions and our life. And that we live so that we live according to that catechism, to love God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the, that's, the, that's the core of all. False teachers brought division and hatred and immorality and impurity and, and destructiveness. And we need to be aware of all these things and remember that Christ and grace brings unity and love 
and joy and salvation and hope and a future. That is the Savior in whom we trust, whom we worship, and whom we serve. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer before singing together. Father God, we ask that you would draw us to yourself, that you would give us that commitment to positively encouraging one another, to self-examination so that we find that uh, our lives are not um, mastered or governed by our own thinking, but by your truth, and that we would not be false or hypocritical, but that we would come to you who freely and fully saves us, redeems us, buys us back, and who loves us, and who will empower us to do the impossible, to change, to be loving, to be uh, obedient, uh, with joy and with pleasure. And may God have the glory in our lives, in our thinking, and in our church, and in all that we are, and in all that we do. For Jesus' sake, amen.